come from Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit and with power and how He went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with Him. Thank you, Blaine, for reading that. Well, good morning. I bet y'all aren't half as nervous as I am. No need to be nervous, right? All right. Well, I want to begin this morning with a quick word of prayer. Um, Brother Larry Davis uh, has a friend, and and she's been on our prayer list, but um, Tina Cossey, and she's passed away. And uh, we have several in our church that buried loved ones last week as well. I want to pray for her husband, Tina's husband, Rusty, and and still those families. So if you would, let's bow real quick. Heavenly Father, our Lord and our God, Father, we thank you, Father, for this day, a day of renewing and refreshing, a day to come together to worship. Father, a day to remember the promises that we have, that you have given us, and the hope we have through Christ Jesus. Father, that this earthly walk, this life, is not all there is. We thank you for that promise. Father, as those that are left behind, those in that Cossey family, the Harris family, the Pickens, the Talents, Father, we ask you to be with them. Give them strength and comfort to know that, Father, there is a life after this one, that you loved us so much that you gave us your son. We thank you, Father, for your word, and, Father, we ask that that word may be written on our heart this morning. For the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I've had a topic that's been on my mind for a while, so I'm going to talk a little bit about it this morning. But uh, I know the last time I spoke that uh, I had a few pictures, so show and tell is uh, again today. And my wife sold creative memories. I have albums. We'll never run out of pictures, I promise you. But I've always been in church. I've always gone to church. Ray's going to church. And this picture here, I'm, I'm the little baby, it's a picture of a picture, so it's, it's bad. But I've always been in church. And, and I'm down front, and you know, you can tell I'm not that embarrassed about, uh, about it, because I think I'm the donkey, and I'm down front, so I'll let y'all have fun with that later. But there's a, there's a play at church, and obviously it's the nativity scene. I've always gone to church. There's one of my grandparents' 50th anniversary at, a, at the church, and you can see all that are gathered. And uh, I, as a young kid, I did have suits and ties and got to wear those. Uh, a picture after services, you know, at my grandparents' house. So, again, we, we left church and, and we came and took that picture. And I put that one up there because my little sister was mad. She said that none of these had her in them, so I had to add one. And then there's an activity, uh, again, you've got to love the haircut, but there's Bob Hope, uh, and that was a fundraiser uh, for the church, and uh, just always been in church. But when I left home, uh, I went in the service, wasn't always about the church. And, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. 
If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And the last part of that sort of echoed with me. Now Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and he's talking specifically about Christ's resurrection. And there were some things they didn't understand. There were some um, philosophies creeping into the church. And they were trying to get them to not believe that Christ had been bodily resurrected. That this resurrection had occurred. But in my life, I'm sort of stuck on that idea of believed in vain. And what does vanity mean? What is vainness? Well, it's worthlessness. It does not produce anything. And there's been times in my life that that was true. It didn't produce something. It wasn't producing that which God had set about for it to produce. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to bet that I'm not the only one standing in this building that maybe can echo that statement. We can live a life that is not producing that which God has asked us and, and set forth for us. There's a group of people out there that I can identify with, I think, because of some of those statements. And thankfully, uh, Larry, uh, I know you, you talked about Linda. I had a God, godly wife. And she got me back to those paths. She helped me and stayed with me and continued to encourage me. But there's a group out that is growing, out there that's growing. And that group is called the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And in a Pew survey, they identified that that group continues to grow. And what this group and what this survey identifies is people who select none of the above in religious affiliation. And they identify those evangelical, are you Protestant, are you Catholic, are you Jewish, are you Muslim, or, or what, what is your denomination, or what is your religious affiliation? And the people that select none of the above continues to grow. Now that does not mean that they're not religious. It does not mean that they don't believe in a God or God, but they're a little bit indifferent to God. So to go back to what I was talking about a little bit of my walk, just a little indifferent to it. It was not producing something. And I don't know if that's fair to say that as well. But in that Pew report, and that's as big as I could make it, it, it runs from about 16% in 2007 up to 29% in 2021. And in that group, there's agnostics and there's atheists, and that's about 9% of that number. But it grows, that group is growing by about 1% per year. Which means, in four years, one out of three people that we, that we encounter in America will fit into this category. By numbers, maybe not by region or by location. Do you see any of the benefits or do you see some of the results of that as we deal with social issues and political issues? And I think the answer is yes. Of this group, some of the largest issues they have with religion are how can a loving, kind God cast their children to hell? Sort of, sort of heard of that before, haven't we? How can they do that? Gay rights, oh, that's, a, that's a big topic that's in the social and in political and in the media. And abortion, those are big issues. 
not necessarily what I'm dealing with this morning, but to help you identify that they're there. And they're out there. And people struggle because of religious teachings on that. Religiously, one out of three by 2025. Affiliated is none. So I asked myself a couple of questions. I wanted to, you know, say, okay, well, why? Well, why is this happening? How can this be? And the first thing that came to my mind is education. They don't know what I know. We've not taught them what it is to be in Christ. For, answer, for instance, that Jesus died for our sins. It's not that God casts us into hell. We sort of choose that. It's not our actions. Maybe it's our lack of actions. We've not accepted Christ. We, we you know, John 3.16 is the most quoted verse, they say. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But maybe we didn't quote 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Maybe it's education. And then I thought, let's see, uh, Matt, Matt taught a class several years back, and and in that was the idea that if people don't know what I know or don't believe what I believe, then I assume they don't know what I know. And then once I teach them what I know and they don't believe what I believe, then they're incapable uncapa- of understanding it. And ultimately I get down where I say they're ignorant. And I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the answer. Although education and teaching is important, I don't know that that's the answer by itself. Because we have to be careful how we view and how we love and how we interact. So I said, well, then it must be the benefits. They don't understand the benefits of being in Christ, of being in the church. Maybe we've not told them about the hope that there is. You know, in Genesis 2, we see the tree of life. In Genesis 3, after the fall of man, that tree, then we're we're cut off from that tree. We're cast out of the garden because of sin, and God puts a cherubim in front of that tree of life. And if you haven't noticed, but the tree of life is absent from Scripture until Revelations 20, really. It shows back up a couple times in Revelation, but you see it again in chapter 22, the last chapter. The tree of life is there sitting almost like it's growing on both sides of the river of life. There's benefits to being in Christ. There is a heaven and there is a hell, as Barry talked about last week. There is a day of judgment. What are the benefits? Well, salvation is one. Maybe they don't understand what the church is about. Christ died for the church. Ephesians 5, he likens the the church to marriage, the bride of Christ. And Christ will present the church to himself, spotless and without wrinkle, a beautiful bride. 
But I'm not sure that's the answer. That's a answer. But I'm not sure that that covers all that needs to be covered. It's important to understand those things. But is it of the most important? And here's where I landed. This is short. Maybe it's way too short of a lesson. But here's where I landed. Blaine read it. Our actions must be greater than or equal to our words. If we want to teach the nuns, if we want to reach the nuns, we must remind ourselves that this building is not the church that Christians are. Now think about it for a minute. We say it, but this building is not the church. We are. And so we have to come out of here. We have to launch out of these walls and do something. It can be hard sometimes. If we stop and we think about what we do, we spend a lot of time, and rightfully so, encouraging one another, teaching and gathering in this building. And we need that. We need that edification. We do. But we're building up. It's sort of like stopping at the gym. And then we're going to go out and we're going to do the work. To reach those who are religiously indifferent, we're going to have to get outside of the walls. We're going to have to do something. If we want to reach the nuns, we must be Jesus to them. Acts 10.38, in this segment, Peter is, is dealing with Cornelius as Cornelius the Gentile is hearing the gospel. And he says in verse 38, how God anointed, in other words, you have heard how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What did Jesus do? Where did he spend his time? Who was he with? Well, they complained mainly about him because he was with sinners. That was their biggest complaint, is he was not where they thought he ought to be. The Pharisees, they continued to complain because he was with the sinners. He wasn't necessarily with the righteous where they thought he ought to be. He went about dealing with people. And just quickly, he stopped to spend time with Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus. What a beautiful story. Here's a man that nobody else really wanted to interact with. The Jews hated him. A short man. And he crawled up in a tree. And we teach it in VBS. It's a beautiful story. But that's where he spent time. As a matter of fact, I don't know in the story, if unless I recount it wrong, but Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus, you've got to sell half or you've got to sell your stuff. You've got to reconcile with everyone. Zacchaeus, after spending time with Jesus, said, Lord, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to give back if I've wronged anyone. I, I restore fourfold. I'm going to take care of the things that I've done wrong. I want to be right with you. He spent time with the woman at the well. So the story is, you know the story, it was a Samaritan woman. The Jews 
hated Samaritans. They would not have interacted with her. But Jesus spent time with her. Now he told her some tough things, so don't misunderstand me. I think there's truth. We have to speak the truth. She's talked about not having a husband. He said, you're right. Basically, you, you don't, and the man you're with not. You've had five. He told her some truth. But yet he loved her, and he talked to her about living water. And he talked to her about who he was. In fact, she went into town excited. You don't see a commandment to, to her, to look, you've got to do all this stuff. But he, she was excited because of who he was. She went in and told others and came out and visited with him. Jesus spent time with the woman at the well. Perhaps one that is argumentative because of its place in scripture. There's some that, that would argue this story. But he did not stone the woman caught in adultery. He didn't do that. Now... He didn't praise her. He didn't tell her that she was doing great things and keep on doing those things. But he forgave her. And he made the people that were wanting to stone her think about their own lives and what they had in their lives. And he told her to go sin no more. So he didn't accept it. He didn't say you're doing a great thing. Keep on sleeping with someone else's husband. But he loved her and he picked her up and she went away he had mercy and compassion on the crowds as he taught them so go back to teaching Jesus taught the sermon on the mount one of the toughest sayings if you really break it down into your heart it's very difficult it's hard but he also there was a time that the crowds rushed after him and he asked him what did you come for you came for the bread you came for food but he still loved them and he taught them he had compassion on them the, the scriptures will tell us that he as he dealt with these large crowds he had compassion there were times they wanted to make him the king the earthly leader of Jerusalem and the Jews and he sent them away and he went up on the mountain and he prayed and I'm not sure I understand exactly all this but as he walked across the water I believe it's in Mark that says that he intended to pass those apostles by. A little frustrated to them on occasion too, wasn't he? But he loved them. He had compassion on them. And he taught them. There were people that had very little faith. He talked about it. In fact, he talked to his disciples about the little faith that they had. But he loved them. He healed them. Even the man that had the sick son said, help my lack of faith. He still healed his son. He loved them. He healed them even though they weren't who he came from. There's a Canaanite woman that her daughter was sick and she pleaded with him and he never even answered them. She just kept on walking, almost like ignoring her. The disciples said, send her away. But when he stopped and he listened to her, he said that he hadn't found faith like hers in all of Israel. And all there. And he healed her daughter. Even though he didn't come for the Gentiles, he healed her. He taught them that humility will be exalted. 
one of my favorite stories or parables if you want to say but the tax collector and the Pharisee and here's a Pharisee that goes up and he talks about the good things he's done he's tithed he prays he's a good man doing godly things but then he says I thank you Lord I'm not like this guy over here a tax collector and a sinner that guy looks at the temple looks toward God and says Lord have mercy on me a sinner and scripture says that man the humble man went away justified there's nothing wrong with being good we want to do good don't misunderstand me but humility he exalted the humble he loved them enough to tell them the truth even when it's not popular to a group of men that were the religious leaders of the day he called a brood of vipers he talked to them about the Sabbath day and that they misunderstood what it was about the man that day of rest was for man not the day not man for that day he helped them understand things he loved them he wept with them he showed them a better way a way that leads to life, not death. I don't know what all the answers are for religiously unaffiliated, religiously indifferent folks. I think in my life, I reflect back, I think I've got a little bit of that in my life. I think. I'd like to say I didn't, but there was times in my life that I was not where I needed to be. I had people that showed me love, grace, and mercy. As we move through this year, it's my challenge to this body. And we do. We do good. We have a lot of good things. But when I wrestle with watching the news, I don't even watch it anymore. I turn it off because of some of those arguments. But let us go about doing good. In your life and in my life, God can strengthen us through Christ. Jesus is the answer. In that first Corinthian text that we started with, Paul delivered something. What did he deliver? Well, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. That he came, he lived, he walked a perfect life. He gave himself on the Calvary's cross for our sins. He gave himself up. He emptied himself when he came from heaven. He gave up the glory of heaven to come and walk on this earth. He gave himself up for us that we can have forgiveness of sin. Then he talked about the resurrection and that the tomb is empty. How do we know that, God, that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient? Because the tomb's empty. You won't find him in it. He's risen. Then he went on to convince them that he is the first fruits that we too can have hope in Christ and that we will rise again on that day the same promise is ours that we can have faith in God through Christ we can receive that we can obey it we can repent when we have sinned and we can be washed in the watery graves of baptism so I don't know what your needs are this morning as the elders we have talked we are open 24-7 by the way whatever you need we are here to help you 
So, Bradley, as we stand and sing, if you have a need, then come forward.